That was a great idea. <laughs> I was going to ask, ask for a fan, but I don't need to now. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice to preach and have fans. They eh? praise the Lord, eh, John? John and I aren't used to preaching and having people actually want to hear what we have to say sometimes. So, uh, uh, praise the Lord. Would you open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter number 40? I, I do want to give a quick update for those who were praying for our family uh, starting May 1st. Some of you are aware uh, that we were uh, five weeks of faith. We were on the road. Every Monday I was in Fredericton. Every Tuesday I was in St. John. Every Wednesday I was in Moncton. Every Thursday I was in Amherst. And every Friday I was in Halifax. So just, we'd encourage my heart to know, like if you were praying for that, for us, would you raise your hand so I can kind of see that? Yeah, I figured at least half of you were, I appreciate that. Uh, I can't even tell you how much we appreciate your prayers for that. Uh, I was, thankfully I was only not, uh, like I slept every night in my own bed except for Monday nights. I slept at a buddy's in uh, St. John, but it was good. You know, it was, it was a real blessing, had some contacts. Uh, the goal was to not only spread the gospel to unsaved people who would nor normally hear it by walking into a gospel preaching chapel or a gospel preaching uh, church, but also to encourage and equip and edify saints. And so there were probably, I didn't add up the final number, but there was somewhere between 50 and 60 Christians who helped in those five places as well, which I thought was tremendous. So it was, it was good. We, I had a chance. I'm still in contact, actually, with some people through email. And there's this guy in uh, Amherst that I get together with once in a while. His name's Chris, 19-year-old young man, uh, kicking around, thinking about the things of God and, and contemplating his soul and the gospel and the Word of God. Uh, I did want to share a picture that was taken on the streets. Did, were you able to? Oh, nuts. <laughs> uh, here, uh, Take this, Kyle, take this phone to uh, Matt. and I, I would like this, you guys to see this picture. I don't know why. I like it so much. But uh, however you can do it, Matt, hopefully in the next four to five minutes, Superman back there, if you can pull it off. There's a, there's a gentleman, um, I, I, I think his name's, Tre yeah, his name's Trevor. And he's been, some of you saw this post on Facebook a couple weeks ago. Might as well stay back there, Kyle, because I'm going to need that phone in a second. Um, he used to, if you saw, you might have saw this already on Facebook, he used to avoid us, like we're talking five, six years ago, he used to avoid us like the plague, like, like we had, literally, like we had leprosy. If he saw us preaching or passing out tracts or talking to people, he would literally avoid us like, like we had leprosy or something. And then one day, about, uh, I don't know, about three or four years ago, I bought a sandwich for this homeless guy who I'd never seen before or since, which is very unusual. When you stop thinking about that verse in Hebrews, it says, entertaining angels unawares, I don't know. Never saw this guy before or since this day. Uh, homeless gentleman asked him when was the last time he ate anything. He said, a couple days ago, I, I said, would you like a sandwich from Tim Hortons? He said, yes, please. I, long story short, I bought this guy a sandwich. And... Uh, and it's amazing sometimes how talkative people get and how open to the gospel when you spend three, four, five bucks on a sandwich. <laughs> so, what church are you from? <laughs> and he, I'm not kidding. He had that thing gone about 30 seconds. And uh, anyway, this Trevor guy came up to us later that night, came up to me, and he said, So, are you the man that bought that guy that sandwich? And I said, uh, Yeah. And he goes, uh, That was very sweet of you. He said... So, I see you out here for the last couple of years, and I've never taken your literature. Can I, can I have your literature? What are you passing out? So, I give him one. So, so what is, what, what is, what's the message you're trying to communicate? Give it to me. <laughs> like, give it to me. <laughs> just, really? Okay. Well, here's the message, you know. And I was able to share the bad news of sin and the good news of the gospel with this guy. So, that was about three or four years ago. Then I didn't see him for about a year, and now he's back in the area. And anyway, um, the gentleman is is very overtly and openly and unashamedly gay, and he wants nothing to do with the gospel. But but we've kind of built a little bit of a relationship. And this picture, if we can get it up there, maybe maybe not. <laughs> Give me one minute. I'm getting the one minute. Uh, I don't know. There's something about this picture. You can if you have Facebook, you can scroll back. I, I posted a couple of them. 
I, 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 like, I like the picture to me summarizes, we had a good chat the other day, or I guess it was probably a month ago now, but uh, how many people here believe that, that we're to, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God? How many people here, here believe that how shall they hear without a preacher? How many believe that verse in Romans 10? How many people believe that in, how shall they preach unless they're sent? Like, this isn't this Kirk's thing. This is, this is a big thing. This is going and sowing ministries isn't just Kirk and some of his buddies out on the streets. This is, this is people who pray, people who give, people who stand behind us and encourage us with your text messages and your cards and your emails. And uh, it, it's a big, it, it's, it, we're all part of the team as far as I'm concerned. As I, as I read, especially Romans 16, I don't see Paul, you know, with this big S on his chest. He, he lists his team. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, if you're praying for us and giving for our ministry, then, then you're part of what God's doing in Trevor's life. So saw him again. Uh, well, I guess it rained pretty good last Friday, uh, Friday night. There was, but uh, two Fridays ago, saw him again. And, and uh, he was actually present when I bought another fella a sandwich this past weekend. He didn't, he didn't say anything this, this uh, couple weeks ago. But anyway, I, I hopefully I'll be able to get that picture up. But, but in the meantime, while, while those gentlemen work on that for me, uh, and it's my fault. I, I literally sprung it on them during that last song. I said, hey, can you get this picture up for me in about five minutes? <laughs> so it's, if it's anybody's fault here, it's mine. But just to set the tone, with, you're in Isaiah chapter 40. I'm going to quote a guy by the name of Mr. A.W. Tozer. This is what he said. You ready? The most important thing about you... And what do you think, Mr. Tozer, he was quite a guy. If you know A.W. Tozer, he was a very godly man. He had a, I think you could say a pretty significant ministry. In, 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 in commenting on, on Isaiah chapter 40, this is what Mr. Tozer said. The most important thing about you is what comes into your mind when you think of God. The most important thing about you is what comes into your mind when you think of God. I thought that was a pretty interesting quote. I recently came across uh, Isaiah chapter 40. Is, Isaiah is a very interesting book, 66 chapters. Some big people have called it the mini Bible because the first 39 chapters have a certain Old Testament ring to it. And then once you turn to chapter 40, it has a, definitely a new flavor, a new tone, a new hope. And the last 27 chapters kind of have a kind of a New Testament-ish uh, flavor to them, more of grace and hope and, and mercy. And, uh, and it was Mr. Samuel Chadwick, who was a missionary for many years to India, said, and it's written down on my phone, so I can't quote it for you, but he said that he read Isaiah chapter 40 every Monday morning to, how did he word it, to calibrate his mind and to focus his heart on God. Every Monday morning, he would read, before he started his week, he, he would read Isaiah, the 40th chapter, to calibrate, I think is the word, his mind, and to, and to uh, I forget the exact word there, to something in his heart, to, to focus, I believe, his heart and his mind on who God is. And so we're going we're gonna to be talking today about who God is. And the question before you, is verse number 9. Look at it with me, please. Isaiah 40, verse 9. O Zion, that brings good tidings, get up into the high mountain, O Jerusalem, that brings good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up and be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, let's say the next three words together, one, two, three. Behold your God. Now, it's, it's really unfair. It's, there is a certain amount of futility in, 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 in that I already know that I'm going to fail, sadly, in, in, in trying to communicate to you this morning out of Isaiah chapter 40 that just how amazing and how awesome and how magnificent and how majestic and how holy and how righteous and how glorious God is. So there is a certain amount of... Oh, thanks, guys. There is a certain amount of... Uh, discouragement in the sense that this, these lips are only going to do so much, but I'm hoping that these lips are going to articulate what's found in the text. And there's a picture of me and Trevor a couple weeks ago. <laughs> Somebody, somebody's playing with me now, I know that. You saw the picture anyway, right? 
That ain't Trevor, and that ain't me. Yeah, okay. (laughs) That's good. So I am going to need that phone back, guys. I appreciate you doing that. Um, I like that. I don't know why I like that picture, because some people think it's all about, you know, talking about sin and talking about judgment. And yeah, that's part of it out there. But we also try to build relationships. And that's better. Yeah. So there's several pictures like that if you go to my Facebook page. But anyway. Uh, so Isaiah chapter 40, we're going to talk about just how big and how awesome God is. And I'll, I'll just tell you straight up that you're not, thank you, that you're not getting out of here. Well, I mean, if you have to leave, please leave. But uh, there's no way this mess is going to be over before 1230. You might as well know straight up, okay? So uh, this is what one preacher said. Tell me what you think about God, and I will tell you the direction and the trajectory of your entire life. A high view of God ultimately leads to high worship of God and high and holy living. Low views of God lead to trivial worship and manipulative evangelism. Everything in one way or another hinges upon our understanding of who God is. God is that important. That's what one theologian wrote recently. And in this chapter, I hope that we're going to see today the well, I've decided we're, we're not doing all of Isaiah 40, obviously, in, in 30 minutes, 35 minutes. So we'll just get as far as we do. And if you guys want to hear some more, I'll come back some other time. How's that? But in this chapter, I hope that we will all see the manifestation, the exaltation, the revelation of the awesomeness and the greatness of the one true God. The, the text that I would like to focus on really begins... In verse number 12, let's pray. Lord, Lord, please help us to see your infinite power. Lord God, help us to see your inscrutable wisdom. Lord, help us to see your immense glory. Lord, help us to see your invincible sovereignty. And Lord, help us to see your inexhaustible grace. Lord, I, I, I truly believe there's not one person in the room who doesn't need a fresh glimpse of who you are and how majestic you are and how holy you are, and myself included. So God, please work in our midst today. God, please draw every single heart, youngest to oldest, to yourself. And and, and may each of us see just who you are, how majestic, how awesome, how how holy. In Jesus' name, amen. And in verse number 12, would you look at it please with me? Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. Now, how much water is on planet Earth at this point, do you think? The answer is a lot. Thank you. There's always one person who knows that answer. There's a lot. I don't even know. Like how much, you probably you've picked up a couple of big old things of water lately, maybe, in the last couple of years. And I remember we were at a Bible camp and New Brunswick, and there was no power, so we, but we still had running water. We had teenagers running up and down the hill with buckets of water all day, every day. With bu- They'll tell you that water's pretty heavy stuff. So my question is, how much does, say, the Atlantic Ocean weigh? How much water are we looking at? I, I, don't, I don't know the answer to that question. But there's somebody who has measured the waters. Where has he measured them, according to verse 12, in the what? Hollow of his hand, all right? So, thank you to whoever put the water there, by the way. That was a good call, along with the fan. All right, so let's see. We're going to measure the hollow. No, I'm not going to do it, but anyway. I was going to do it, and then my brain said, what are you going to do after that, Kirk? And I went, I don't know. So, seemed like a good idea. But uh, what would we get? Maybe a teaspoon in there? Possibly a tablespoon? No, probably not a tablespoon. Somewhere between a teaspoon and a tablespoon. Does that sound about right in there? The Bible says, friends, that he... He, he can measure all of the water, plural, not just water, but waters, in the hollow of his hand. He has meted out, or he has stretched out the heavens with the span. Now, the heavens, plural, not just the heaven, but the heavens. It's three heavens, this is the one, the air we breathe, and the orbit, and stars, and, and then the the heavens were the heaven of heavens. First Corinthians chapter twelve, Second Corinthians chapter twelve, where God dwells. How big are the heavens? 
Well, don't answer the question because it just changed. I, I think there's significant uh, proof to show that it's actually expanding, if you can believe that. And, and it, it, the Bible says that he has got it, all the heavens that we know of, and by the way, we don't even know how big it is yet. God says, yeah, I give it about that. That's a span there to there. Wow, how big is our God? Behold your God. Who has comprehended the dust of the earth, verse 12, in a measure? How much dust do you think there is in the planet? I didn't say how much dust in your living room or in your, in your home. Or If we take all the dust in all of our homes combined, that'd be a fair probably amount of dust, maybe. I don't know. How about the whole planet? He has measured, look at, the, look at this, he has weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Where's the closest place to go skiing around here? Mar Martok? How, how much does Mount Martok weigh, I wonder? That mountain that you ski down? How much you pop it on a scale, how much do you think it weighs? Probably a significant amount, right? The Bible says he's weighed the mountains in scales. I guess the point, the point of verse 12 is to show us his incredible power. I mean, if you want to talk power, you can talk about speaking the planet and the universe into existence. Uh, the Bible doesn't say in the beginning God made the heavens and the earth. The Bible says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. There's a big difference. You can take some ingredients and make, you know, some cookies or some slices of birthday cake, which you're going to get after church, right? Or uh, make, you know, get some ink and some paper. You can make lots of different things. But the Bible says he created it, which means ex nihilo, which is out of nothing. How much power does it take, friends, to create a universe by the spoken word? That's the God that we serve, amen? That's the God. We, we need to be reminded. This is why this radical foolish, oh, what's the name of it again? Oh yeah, evolution. This is why this is so unbelievably uh, foolish. Not only because, you know, you got to have more faith than I do if you actually think that we started with nothing and now we get everything. To start with molecules and go to a, a human being, you've got, you're talking about a monstrous, a monstrous amount of information being added to the genome. There's not one example, known mechanism in the universe that shows any information being added to a known species. So you have to have a lot more faith than I do if you believe that it all started for the big squish and a big spin and a big bang a long, long time ago. I, 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 I've actually had people tell me how stupid and how foolish I am because I believe that all of the humans on the planet came from, get this, two humans. That doesn't sound too crazy to me. All the humans came from two humans. Well, even if their theory, if their religion, it's not a theory, it's a religion, is true, then they have eventually had to come back to two humans. The question is, how did those two humans get there? The Bible's pretty clear that God made them in his image but no, 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 we can't accept that, so we have to believe that, well, there's only two options. Either this place made itself, or somebody made it. There is no third option. So this is why this religion of evolution is so heinous, and so asinine, and so foolish, because it's an assault on who God is. It's saying, God, actually, no, you didn't make the place. It made itself, because the human mind will, will, would rather believe that it created itself than to, because of course you know, if, if it's somebody more intelligent and powerful than us created it, then that implies that he's ahead over us, right? People, of course, will never ever uh, knowingly want to, to, to submit to that. And so, uh, I love this little verse. It's a great verse. He, who's, he's measured the waters in the hall of his hand. He's meted out the heavens with a span. He's comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure. And he's weighed the mountains of the hills in a balance. Question mark. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord? Another good question coming down the pipe here in verse 13. Before we get to verse 13, better to have small faith in a great God than great faith in a small God. I, I, I firmly believe that, but we need to, myself, when I say we, I mean, I'm, I'm throwing myself in. 
that we need to have a, a greater vision of just how amazing and how awesome God is. Amen? Apparently the people of, of uh, Isaiah's day were, were struggling with this. Uh, you could make the argument that they, they had it tough. Uh, the people of God in Isaiah's day needed a, a fresh reminder of who he is because this was written in a day in which the Assyrian Empire is threatening the northern kingdom and soon the Babylonian Empire will rise up against the southern kingdom and they will be carted off for 70 years of captivity in Babylon. They would need to recapture an extraordinary view of God to go through this unbelievable trial. What God wants his people to see is that even though their enemies are so much greater than they are, God is so much greater than the entire universe. You ever wonder why God created the universe, just how amazingly infinite and how majestic and how vast that it is? Well, couldn't he have just created the sun and the moon and the earth and that's it? He could have done that. Wouldn't have been a great... Well, I just learned the other day that we kind of need Jupiter close by because Jupiter's kind of taken all the debris, you know, with their huge gravitational pull. Jupiter's taken, you know almost 100% of the comets and all the stuff that should be, could be flying towards us. It, it goes over toward Jupiter. So God put a massive planet like Jupiter to kind of deflect a lot of the debris in space away from us. But, but to have this massive, huge universe, I think is to show us that we serve a massive and amazing and awesome God. Amen? You know, G. Campbell Morgan... Somebody's, just think it through. Before you, before you say, Kirk, why would you use that illustration? I think it does prove a point, otherwise I wouldn't use it. I first heard it, I probably got to get the same reaction you did, but I had to think about it a little bit. G. Campbell Morgan, he finished preaching a sermon on prayer. And apparently this was one of his favorite topics. And, and this older, petite, gracious woman approached Mr. Morgan, after preaching this very powerful sermon on prayer, and she asked Mr. Morgan, she said, Mr. Morgan, can I pray to God about the little things, or can I only pray to God about the big things in my life? Now, G. Campbell Morgan's answer to that question might surprise you. He said to her, Madam, dear Madam, nothing in your life it's big to God. Do you see the, the question presupposes that something in her life is bigger than God. You see that? I've got these things in my life. Some of them are big. Some of them are little. Can I pray to God about the little things as well as the big things? He was trying to adjust her focus on who God is. Madam, dear madam, nothing in your life is big to God. Because you know, you know what's big to God? Well, nothing, but I was going to say God. God is big to God. You see that? See, we, we need to, we, I really think we need to adjust our thinking. Dear madam, everything in your life is little to God. There is nothing in your life that is big to God. God's not going to go, whoa, that is a big thing. I'm not really sure I can handle that. You say, Kirk, you, 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 you speak... You speak flippantly about very important things. I'm going through a big deal in my life right now, man. I could lose my career. I could lose my family. This is, we're talking some serious stuff, man. My life could be radically different in three months' time. I'm here to tell you, God is no less God. And God is no smaller. And we have a tendency when we're going through trials and tribulations to think, I don't know. I don't know if God can handle this one. Do you ever think that way? Do you ever think? I've, I've actually thought in my brain, do you think that God could save a wretch like so-and-so? I've often, I've caught myself a couple times wondering if God can even do some things that seem impossible to me. But there's no such thing. Not if, you have a, not if you have a big God, right? Do you, do you guys ever sing that song? goes like this, a tiny fortress is our God. You guys ever sing that one? Nobody's ever sung that song. Why would you sing such a stupid song, right? Oh, but you guys have probably sung this one, though. 
I think I've been here when you guys have sang it. It goes like this. How, uh, how mediocre thou art. You guys have sung How Mediocre Thou Art, have you? Nobody sings that song. We, we sing songs like How What Thou Art? How Great Thou Art. Because we need to be reminded constantly that God is great, amen? Maybe you're like me. Maybe you're like me and you find this challenging because of Isaiah. Uh, there's seven words in, in John, John chapter 3, verse 30. Seven words, John 3, 30. Memorize the verse if you haven't already. He must increase and I must decrease. Seven words. There's the whole verse. You just memorized it. He must increase, but I must decrease. But Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says that we ought not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. So there's a tendency, if you're born of Adam, if you're, if you're a descendant of Adam's race, which every human being is, obviously, there are no such thing as I think I said last time I was here as as races, this whole racism thing, this different races is completely, uh, well, it has evolutionary roots, and according to the Bible, there's only one race, it's called the human race, right? And, and this, this idea, if you're born of Adam, you have a tendency to exalt yourself. We think of ourselves more highly than we ought, and, and, and it, it, the reason I know that you're like me is other, those two verses are in the Bible, John 3.30 John and uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 3. John says, let he must increase and I must decrease. And without realizing it, Monday through Saturday, this can actually happen. We can actually think of ourselves higher than we ought to think. And we can actually think of him to the point where you think, yeah, God's great, but you know, it could be a lot greater. It could be, could be doing better. I hear this accusation all the time on the streets. People, people essentially have said to me, with, in no uncertain terms, this is a true story, not just a couple, you know, basically, if, if truth would be told, I'm my own God, and if there is a God, I'm certainly better than him. I could do a better job than, he, than he's doing. And, and that's, that's really tragic to hear that. That's really tragic to hear that. And it's called idolatry, of course. We know it's the oldest sin in the book. Friends, if you want to be blessed this week, study the aseity of God. A-S-E-I-T-Y. The aseity of God. Why? A little side study. Well, I was going to say it won't take you too long. It could take you a whole year, depending on how much you want to delve into it. It could take you a couple hours. The aseity of God, in a nutshell, means this. That God needs nothing. <laughs> he doesn't need anything. You, you and I could list the things that we need, but God doesn't need those things. He doesn't need anything. Friends, no prayer is too hard for God to answer. If the heavens are a span, as verse 12 says, then no prayer is too hard for God to answer. No circumstance is too hard for God to overturn. No obstacle is too difficult for God to remove. No door is too hard for God to open. No heart is too hard for God to humble. No soul is too wretched for God to save. Do you believe that today? That big thing you're going through this week, take hope, friends. Take hope. It's very, very, very small compared to God. It's very, very small compared to God. Let us focus on the greatness of God. In verse 12, I just draw your attention to verse 12 maybe this week. Maybe, maybe it would be good for you to read Isaiah 40, verses 12 to the end of the chapter every day this week to just help recalibrate just how important, how majestic, and how holy God is. This is, uh, yeah, Mr. Mr. Chadwick, he said this. He reads Isaiah 40 every Monday to get his head and his heart recalibrated before God. So we've talked about his infinite power in verses 12, but I also want to look at verses 13 and 14. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor, has taught him? Now you can kind of hear a little bit of Job in there. Job 36. You can hear a little bit of Jeremiah 23 in there. We're not going to turn there for sake of time. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor, has taught him? Notice there's no answer to the verse 13. It goes right into some more information in verse 14. 
With whom took he counsel? And who instructed God and taught God in the path of judgment and taught him knowledge and showed to him the way of understanding? Now, if you know, you, everybody who has children, it's one of the main priorities of your of parenting is to teach your children instruction and, and, and counsel and, and judgment and knowledge and to show them the way of understanding. If, you, if, you're, if that's not a priority in your, in your parenting, then I would recommend you recalibrate it because that's, uh, uh, who was it, Joseph Stalin or somebody said, you either train your children or I will, or something like that. I think it was Joseph Stalin said, you, you train your children or I will train them for you or something like that. So uh, being the, the reference there being in government education, uh, public education systems. The, the, he said, the, the scripture here says, he took counsel, who instructed God and taught God the path of judgment and taught him knowledge and showed to him the way of understanding. The next thing I'd like to, us to look at is not only his infinite power, but his inscrutable wisdom. You know, friends, stuff occurs to me every day. Are you like me? You say, wow, I didn't even know that. The thing about Jupiter, taking all of the 99 point whatever, 8% of all the debris in the universe so we don't have to take it. I just learned that like yesterday. This stuff occurs to me all the time. And some of you aren't totally shocked by that. <laughs> but, but friends, not, God has, that's never happened to God. God has never gone, oh, <laughs> actually, that, yeah, okay, that makes sense. That's never happened to God. He, he is so incredible. He's so majestic. He's so high. And he's so beyond. It's no wonder Isaiah said in verse 9, Behold your God. Because we all know that just because one has infinite power doesn't mean he necessarily possesses Wisdom. Have we seen examples in the last couple hundred years of people running countries who have all kinds of power but not a whole pile of wisdom? Anybody ever heard of the Holocaust? Anybody heard of communist China? I mean, the, the, the examples are, are endless, really. Well, I shouldn't say endless. The examples are, are, you can have lots and lots of power but not have a whole pile of wisdom to go with it. But there's no, there's no uh, danger of that with God. Never, God has never learned anything. He has no need to look down the proverbial tunnel of time to cause him to figure something out. He already knows everything. He already knew everything before he even spoke the planet into existence. I've I got to be honest with you, friends. I have a hard time getting my brain around this stuff. To whom did God consult? Verse 13. Did God have, How are we going to come up with this DNA stuff? You know, scientists didn't even know what DNA... If you said DNA... 150 years ago, people wouldn't even know what you were talking about. Man thinks he's such a big screaming deal because he can map DNA. How about the guy who holds the patent? God holds the patent to DNA. It's the most complex information system in the known universe by a mile. And yet they're sending out SETI, SC, search, for search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, SETI, and they've been sending out signals into the universe since the 1960s, hoping to hear just a blip, just, just a beep or something, or even two beeps in a row would be awesome. They haven't heard nothing. They've been sending out beeps since the 1960s, sending out signals into every known part of the galaxy, and they've got nothing back. And then we look at inside a one cell has enough DNA. I think uh, if you were to take the average human being and string out his DNA end to end, you go to the moon and back like 30 times. Or uh, it's just an un unbelievable. Maybe it's not 30, but it's 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 more than one. I know that you string it out, and it's got all the known information, building blocks, your your hair color, your. You, the, the, the size and shape of your teeth and how, how long your arms are going to be and your fingernails, your skin color, your eye color, it's all in there. All the information. God, God invented it. Invented? No, that's not the right word. God spoke it into existence and he holds the patent to it. And man thinks he's awesome because he discovered it. 
and he can even map it. Uh, the nanotechnology within your body is a whole other message altogether that scream the intelligence and the wisdom of God. God has never once been caught off guard. He knows everything perfectly. He is good in all times. He is good in all circumstances. He doesn't need to correct himself. He oversees everything in his divine providence, and God doesn't go, oh, oh, the tsunami. Oh, man, I forgot about that earthquake under the ocean. God, friends, there's not one molecule in this note. There's not one rogue water molecule in the universe, if you believe in Isaiah chapter 40. There's not, there's, a, there's not one or more than one water molecule that's going to take God off guard or some tornado or some monsoon or some whatever natural disaster. We, we use the term natural disasters. Friends, we either believe that God is in control or he isn't. And sometimes those questions are not easy to answer sometimes, but, but either he's a big God and he's in, tro- he's in charge of it all or he isn't. I'd like you to turn also, well, we're not going to turn, keep reading. Verse 15 to 20, I think, is probably where we're going to end, verse 20. Uh, there's five points I wanted to direct your attention to his, to his uh, power in verse number 12, his wisdom in verse number 13 and 14. But I also wanted to show you in verses 15 to 20 his immense glory. Behold, look at verse 15 with me, please. The nations, plural, are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he takes up the isles as a very little thing. Do you know how many islands Nova Scotia has? Some of you are going to be surprised. And before you tell me I'm wrong, check it out. I checked it out. There are over 3,000 islands off the coast of Nova Scotia. Now, some of them are only as big as, you know, this pulpit, obviously, but... Uh, there, there's a lot of islands in the world. That's just Nova Scotia. And then there's all kinds of islands all over the planet. And the Bible says that the islands, he takes up the islands as a very little thing. Some of those islands are pretty big, like Australia. Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beasts thereof sufficient to ever burn offering. All the nations before him are as nothing. They are counted to him as less than nothing and vanity. To whom will you liken God? I love this question. To whom will you liken God? And to, and to what likeness will you compare to him? The workman melts a graven image and the goldsmith spreads it over the gold and casts silver chains. And he, he that, that is so impoverished that he hath no obligation chooses a tree that will not rot. He seeks for himself a cunning workman to prepare a graven image that shall not be moved. Now, I left it, Kyle, can you run to the back? There's a plastic cup, a white styrofoam cup on the back there, please. I, I forgot it back there. Right by where I was sitting, there's a styrofoam cup. So who's the youngest person in the room? Let's see here. Anybody under 10 in the room? Anybody under 10? Are you under 10? Would you help me for a sec? All right. So the Bible says, look at verse 15, says, Somebody read the very first part of verse 15 for me. It says the what? The nations. The nations are what? Are a drop in the bucket. So can you come see if you can lift that cup for me? Can you do that? What's your name again? Tayera, yeah. Can you lift that for me? Careful. Let me check. Make a, can you make one of these? Let me. You're pretty strong. Okay, go ahead and see if you can lift that. All right, good. Good job. Okay, now, now hold on. Here we go. Next time you read Isaiah 40, verse 15, you're, you're probably not going to forget this, I bet you. Ready? Let's count the drops. Ready? One. One. Okay. You think you can do it? You think you can lift that? You did it. Let's give her a big hand. Yeah. Thanks. You can go have a seat now. She's looking at me like, really? That's it? <laughs> like, you brought me up here to lift a cup with a one drop of water in it? For real? She's thinking, where'd they find this guy? <laughs> now, did you notice a big difference when I did that, when I put the water in? Not, not a lot, eh? Not a lot of difference. As a matter of fact, that's, well, that's probably more than one drop, come to think of it. The Bible says, friends, verse 15, the nations, plural, 
are as a drop of a bucket. Now, how much glory and splendor and wealth would you have if you accumulated all of the nations of the earth? Uh, how much is Canada and the U.S. and Saudi Arabia and Iraq and Iran and Russia and Poland and Japan and China and Australia and the U.K.? How much are they? That's, you know, you're talking about a gross domestic product that's pretty significant. The Bible says, compared to God, they are a drop, they are as a drop of a bucket. They are counted as, a, uh, and they're counted as the small dust of the balance. You know when you dust something? And then you think it's dusted, and then you draw the curtains, and then you realize, oh, wow, there's still that fine dust there. And you thought you'd dusted it, and it's really, there's still a little bit there. The, the nations and all of their splendor and all of their glory are like the small dust of the balance. And verses 16 and on, this Lebanon, you know, the, the idea here is... is is all of Lebanon with all of the cedars. When you think, when you see Lebanon, there's usually a reference to cedar. And see, because the, even the flag of Lebanon has a cedar tree on it. All of Lebanon is not sufficient if you were to burn every cedar tree as a burnt offering and a sacrifice, all the beasts of the, all the fields on all of the trees from, that Lebanon could provide. This, this offering would not suffice the, the glory and the splendor of who God is. I guess the point, as, as I hope that you're uh, get, getting the picture, is that God is, is amazing. God is huge. And we need to be reminded from time to time to whom, this is actually a great verse in verse 18. It's actually repeated almost word for word in verse number 25. To whom will you liken, uh, who then, Will you liken to God? Now, be careful, because we tend to do this. We tend to take an egg and say, well, you know, egg's kind of three in one. You know, you got your yolk and the white stuff and, uh, and the shell. And, uh, hey, kids, there's the, the, egg, the egg's kind of like God, you know, three in one. Or we go, hey, uh, water, you know, frozen and liquid and vapor. And, hey, God, you know, God's kind of like the water. God is not like water. And God is not like an egg. As a matter of fact, God is like nothing and no one. We need to be reminded of this. To whom shall you liken me? Verse 25, God says, what are you going to compare me to? Now, I get the sediment to try to, you know, under, I get it. But, but we need to be careful. We need to be careful. When we're describing God, not to describe him like his creation. Because there's a vast, vast difference between the creation and the creator. These idols that are spoken of in verses 19 and 20, be careful you don't slam the idolater who, 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 who <laughs> he's got this thing, you know, he even paid money, for, pretty good money for it here in verses 19 and 20. He took his, took his idol to a goldsmith, woo, and he spreads it over with gold and silver chains. Now that's a pretty, pretty impressive stump of wood or whatever it is he covered up. The guy... In Isaiah's day, who takes his stump of wood, and it has eyes, and it has ears, and it has lips, and he's covered it with gold, and it looks pretty impressive. But friends, it's a dumb idol. It has eyes it cannot see. It has ears it cannot hear. It supposedly has a head it cannot think. It has lips it cannot talk. And how foolish is the person who takes the creation and exalts it as if it were the creator. Would you not agree how foolish that is, how futile that is, how vain that is? And we can look at the, the goldsmith with his lump of stone or his lump of wood and he covers it with gold, makes it look all pretty, and we say, who would be so foolish? But friends, John Owen said almost 500 years ago that the human heart is an idol-making factory. And we can make idols... Out of the very clothes that we are wearing, we can make idols out of our cell phones. We can make idols out of our family members. We can make idols out of... That piano can be an idol to somebody. Friends, be, don't judge that guy who, who great, gets his little piece of wood. and At least he took the time to take it to a goldsmith and decorate it with gold and silver. 
We just go and buy it with our money. But friends, be careful that you don't take anything, that you take nothing that you can put your hands on, anything tangible and exaltative of God will help us because it's so easy to happen if we're not careful. It's so easy to happen that we can actually take something material and elevate it to the point where it's like, well, basically it's our God. We, we think, oh, you know, we could never do, be so stupid, be so foolish, be so, so mindless as to do this. Friends, it, is there anything new under the sun? Do you think that we are more, less prone to fall into idolatry than the people of Isaiah's day? Do, what, do you believe that you're more highly evolved than them or something? Like, honestly, friends, the human heart has not changed. The human heart has not changed. And we can be just as idolatrous as the people in Isaiah's day. And my goal, my single goal in the message today is that you and me not lower the greatness of God in our minds because the battle is definitely won and lost in the mind, is it not? You read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. We're running out of time here. We're not going to go over to 2 Corinthians 5.10. You go to... Uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. The battle for your mind is, is paramount. And God today is, is challenging everybody in the room, from the youngest to the oldest, to think rightly about God. How do you think that's a be the best way to do that? It's pretty old-fashioned, I know, but uh, let's soak our, our minds and let's read the Word of God together. Read it privately. Read it with your family. Read it with your husband. Read it with your wife. A.W. Tozer said, The essence of idolatry is the entertainment of thoughts about God that are unworthy of Him. The essence of idolatry is the entertainment of thoughts about God that are unworthy of Him. People do it all the time. I hear it, I hear it all the time outside on the streets, obviously, but I hear it sometimes even within the four walls of buildings like this. I've heard people, there's this movement coming down the pipe that, you know, God, he's so loving, he's so gracious, he wouldn't send anybody to hell. Really. Jesus spoke more of hell than everybody in the Bible put together. And there's this movement, even amongst Christianity, or in Christian circles, I should say, that, that, that is minimizing the wrath of God and elevating the love of God. Let me ask you a question. Which is God more, wrath or love? Don't answer it out loud. I don't, want to, I don't want to embarrass anybody. The answer is yes. The answer is yes. God is perfect love and perfect wrath. And friends, love and wrath met squarely at the cross in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He took the, the hand, being 100% fully God and fully man, he took the, the punishment that we deserve in his body on that cross. Do you believe that? There might be somebody in the room who doesn't believe that. I would encourage you, I would encourage you, you can actually have a high view of God. And you can actually say amen to every verse from verses 12 to 20 and still die in your sins and perish in hell. And I, I, that would be awful. That would be a terrible thing. So today, we'll close off by uh, challenging. I've already spent most of my time challenging the Christians in the room. May I challenge the, you who maybe are here today who aren't saved. God is 100% wrath and 100% love. He is 100% justice and 100% mercy all at the same time. And justice and mercy and wrath and love met squarely on that one who was sent, virgin born, to take the punishment that we deserve in his body on the tree. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was crushed uh, he, he was bruised uh, I messed up Isaiah 53.5 He was bruised for our transgressions, thank you, is bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we are healed. Today in closing, have you turned from your sin and placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? If he's as great and as amazing and as awesome and majestic as Isaiah chapter 40 says that he is, and you believe that, it'll be a lot easier to, to surrender your life to Jesus Christ and say, hey, if this is a God we're talking about, he created the planet ex nihilio. He, he gave us his son, and then he rose him from the dead three days later. Wow. I'm in. Like, I'm in. Like, I'm in. I'm yours, God. Use me. Do with me what you want. That's a Christian. 
Christian says, I'm, I'm yours, Lord. Whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do it. You did all that for me. I repent. I, I put my faith and trust in you. I'm going to follow you and love you and serve you and obey you because of how amazing you are. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for each one who's here. God, forgive us for breaking verses like uh, John 3.30. He must increase, I must decrease. Father, we're, we have a tendency, without even realizing it, Monday through Saturday and even on Sunday, of, 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 of increasing us and diminishing you. But, but there's special chapters in the Word that, 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 that are specifically designated to, to correct such a, such a problem. And Lord, we thank you that, the, that all of the waters of the planet are essentially, can be summed up in the hollow of your hand because of who you are, because of how amazing you are. And these, these, these universe, this universe that we don't even know where it starts and ends, well, you've got, it, you've got it in a span. It's not a big deal to you. Lord, I believe you created such an amazing, vast universe to show us just how amazing and how vast and how awesome you are. For surely, Lord, we don't worship the creation, we worship the creator. And I pray that if there's somebody here today who's never turned from their sins and put their trust in Jesus Christ, that today will be the day of their salvation. Father, thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you for his death, burial, and resurrection. Thank you that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Father God, forbid us from creating a God in our minds that is a lot more like us than like you. We don't want to be idolaters because we know what you say about idolatry. So forgive us, Lord, if, if, if we've gone down that road and, and cause us, even as your children, to, to repent and get back on the right track, Lord. Lord, thank you for your graciousness, your kindness, your mercy in our lives and for correcting us if we need to be corrected and encouraging us where we need to be encouraged. We love you. Uh, pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I think.